0: Growing and scaling a business is complex. It can be very scary and lonely trying to navigate it all. It comes down to the community of trusted people you surround yourself with. Let's dive in to the Business as People podcast. Hey everyone, very excited to have a dear friend of mine, Kate DeLanders, who is the Senior Marketing Director at ShopTrue. She's been a digital marketing leader for a very long time, very passionate about building marketing engines to help organizations achieve business goals. She's been dabbling in digital media, e-commerce, all forms of different marketing. She's helped organizations like J. Jill, Reebok grow their digital presence by understanding their audience, identifying marketing technologies that help accelerate communication strategies and Uncovering Opportunities for New Businesses' Growth. So now she is helping this startup uh, division here called ShopTrue. So welcome, Kate.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: It's been a long time for us getting together, so I'm excited for you to carve out some time because you're a busy woman over there, making, developing a huge cultural change and providing value to a lot of shoppers. So tell us a little bit about what is it that ShopTrue does?
1: Yeah, so ShopTrue is essentially a fashion discovery engine. If you think about how Spotify works, it's kind of like a Spotify for fashion and looks across hundreds of retailers, thousands of brands, and based on the information that we know about you or the information that you give us, we pull together and curate products that we think you will love and keep. So essentially we're, we're kind of creating your own personal shop. It's different for everyone based on the information that you provide.
0: So what intrigued you about the role that you're doing here? Cause I mean, you work with a lot of great different brands and I want listeners to really understand kind of how your career has evolved based on the passions that you have.
1: Yeah, so I've been in the retail e-commerce space for about 10 or 11 years, and I work with some great brands like J. Jill and Reebok that you mentioned, and they're very mature brands. They have an audience already built in, which is great. It allowed me to do a lot of learning, learning about how they grow their audiences, how they segment their audiences. ShopTrue is creating something new and something from scratch, there's, you know, no audience today. The product is due to launch early next year. I wanted to be able to take my knowledge and skill set and apply it to a scenario like this where we've had the opportunity to kind of start from scratch and build something and wear a lot of different hats. So that's what brought me over to that role.
0: I feel like it's the opposite side of the spectrum, right? So some people are maybe I want to say comfortable being in an established brand with an established audience you're jumping in and with your confidence with your experience but you're jumping into a new arena where you're building a new audience it's a new product i think for other potential marketers who are hesitant to do that like what was like the mindset for you to make that decision
1: well i had been with reebok for 7 years and i started on the global side looking at like systems and processes to put a global strategy in place and I was able to evolve that role, eventually moved over to the US market and focused on e-commerce, specifically consumer acquisition and growth. So I had a lot of opportunity to kind of change and evolve my role, but I'm always looking to broaden my knowledge and my skills. And I felt like this was a new opportunity to do something really different and was just kind of ready for the change and, you know, felt I had at least enough skills and confidence to add a lot of value to this startup community.
0: For the folks who, who are looking to kind of do a similar path or career path as you, Kate, what type of advice would you give them to kind of cut down their time to quickly get to where you are now? If you were to talk to your younger self or mentoring another marketer, what type of advice would you give?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Focus on the end goal. I knew what I really liked, and that was focusing and working with data, experimentation, the audience development and engagement. And I started off on the media side, but the end of the day, I knew I couldn't get all that deeply passionate about the specific kind of media I was working on. So I thought, okay, what's one thing I would change about what I'm doing? And for me, that was the industry. So that was my next step, focus on that end goal of this is what I really enjoy. Also knowing that every step you take, it's not necessarily gonna be your dream job and your aspirations might change. So I'd focus on you know one or two things that are, are changing or helping you grow into what you'd truly like to do and just make those c- continual baby steps and stay in a role for at least a year give it that good amount of time. Cause not only are you figuring out what you like, you're figuring out what you don't like. So you'll know and be that much more informed when you go out for your next job saying like, Hey, I want to avoid X, Y, and Z because I've done that before. And that's not something that works for me. So I think it's a continued refinement. And then as you kind of grow personally, you figure out what works best for you, what industries really speak to you, what types of roles And I think what I'm doing now is certainly is something I think my younger self would aspire to do, but I think it it grew with what I wanted to do and what I found worked for me at that stage in my life.
0: I mean, throughout your career, you must have run into some people might say failures, right, Kate, but I always call them lessons. Do you mind sharing a a few of those and, and what were the outcomes of those lessons? Yeah.
1: I'd say when I was younger in my career, I, I made a lot of mistakes. I still make a lot of mistakes. When I was a lot younger, however, it felt like those mistakes were devastating. And I worked a lot with CRM systems and consumer files. There's a lot with data and kind of slicing and dicing. And I can think of like one example in particular where I sent the wrong communication to the wrong group of consumers, I switched them up and I realized the mistake and thought, oh my God, I'm going to get in so much trouble. I failed my job. I might get fired. And what ended up happening, I talked to my boss. We talked about you know, why it happened. It was an honest mistake. We ended up sending an apology email and the outcome was actually, we had a lift in our engagement rate. And I think the consumer's almost appreciated and understood that we had this moment of like humanity within our marketing where like somebody made a mistake and there's a human on the other side of that, you know, marketing machine and engagement lifted from that. So it was a great story with a a positive outcome. But now I, especially in the startup world, everything is new and everything is something we're doing kind of for the first time. So rather than looking at uh, a situation as kind of a win or lose, you know, I approach it with more curiosity and say like, what am I going to learn from this? Something's going to work and something's not going to work and just refining it from there. So it's actually something that at Shop True, we've built into kind of our culture code that it's really all about learning. And there's no failure as long as you pull a lesson from it and we can do better or do different next time. So it's really about the mindset and the approach that you take. Failure is inevitable. It's just what you do with it.
0: It's definitely a mindset. I think you know you could be scared to do certain things because you're afraid to fail, but marketing is not perfect. It's a blend of art and science, but you have to be that scientist all the time. You have to be curious. You have to test things. It's not just A-B testing. It's A-B-C-D-E-F. Because there's so many different audiences out there. There's so many different variables in play. And it might sound complex. It might sound overwhelming, but this is the world we live in. This is what marketing is today. You mentioned you saw a lift in engagement because of that human aspect of just being maybe vulnerable, but also being a human. What are you seeing where brands who are doing a good job just being human? Because that's something that we're always educating our clients to say people aren't doing business with the brand. They're doing business with the human side of the brand, the people. So how are you humanizing that?
1: Yeah, I've seen there's a lot of ways that brands are doing this. I think especially through the pandemic, a lot of different cultural and political shifts happening in the world right now, brands have really stepped up and they're no longer, you know, Staying silent about their positions on things and how they're handling things through a pandemic. A lot of brands have had to shift how they operate their businesses. And a lot of ways I'm seeing brands do this is through social media. They're taking a stance and publishing, like, these are our beliefs, this is what we stand for, and this is how our business is shifting. And I think it brings more immediacy to that message. And gives them like a position and point of view on a topic. I've seen this trickle down from social media to email and some other aspects of marketing, but I think social media is really the one that has a pulse on what's going on right here and right now. And the brands that are coming forward quickly with kind of a response to what's going on are the ones that are really winning in this space right now. I think. The ones that are staying silent or just kind of continuing a business as usual approach—they're just not part of the conversation, and they're not as relevant. I think I read a a stat through McKinsey that seventy-eight percent of consumers have shifted their purchased behavior through the pandemic, and somewhat like ninety percent of them will continue to shop in this new way. So it's not like they're shifting and then they're going back. People are shifting and changing right now. And if you aren't there and you're not top of mind and in the conversation, you're going to get left behind.
0: Yeah. And that's something we are constantly are trying to help educate around and, and we're seeing it ourselves as consumers too, right? Like the convenience of user experience, customer experience, and how that you have to level up what you're doing infrastructurally potentially to provide that better experience. So it's making an investment in infrastructure. It's making an investment in building out new workflows. What, what are some one or two specific things that you've seen, Kate, that is a newer thing that came out of the pandemic that you feel is not going to go away and, and businesses should consider as a, a user experience or customer experience?
1: Yeah. I think the one that comes to mind right away is curbside pickup and being able to shop online and pick up at a store. That's something that has become now part of my everyday life and how I shop for things like groceries, but also like clothing. Uh, I can go online and I can look at different styles. I can filter by everything that's in my size or my price range And then I'm able to just drive up to the store. They come out and they put it in my car. I think early in the pandemic, I realized how essential this was. And I I thought, geez, I hope this doesn't go away. And uh, I don't think that it will. I think it may shift a little bit, but I think we're going to continue to see that like curbside pickup. And you're going to have a part of the parking lot that's really dedicated to people shopping that way. So that's been a big one. I think also the return process as well, because people have to do more buying and trying, there's a shift in how people are paying for product and then how they return it or, or even how they receive it. Amazon, for an example, you know now you can pick a day of the week that's like your Amazon day and all your Amazon packages for the week will come on that day, which really helps reduce the carbon footprint that Amazon is producing as part of your shopping experience. So you still have that convenience of, you know, purchasing through Amazon and finding what you want and finding at the right price, but you're able to, to shift how and when you receive that product. So I'm seeing that more and more. Also just being able to really quickly and easily return product. I've been noticing, you know, that a lot of the packaging has shifted. So you can just use that same packaging to send something back. I'm not seeing a lot of return fees right now, different ways to return too. I can go and drop something off at a specific location. I can have someone come and pick it up. So there's just a lot more flexibility and options to make it easy for the consumer to engage with this process. So retailers aren't thinking just about the buying process. They're thinking about buying then how the consumer's receiving it, how they're reviewing it, what they're doing with it all the way through to are they reviewing the product to make sure that all of those touch points are positive experiences that are really serving the consumer.
0: Yeah, it's it's not just transactional. It's like really holistically understand the psyche, the customer experience throughout the whole cycle. So they become advocators. Like you you mentioned Amazon and even Zappos, they've done such a great job understanding the consumers. They try to personalize it. So for what you're doing at ShopTrue, you're looking at. It's a necessary thing that you need to do to uncover, right? So how are you really trying to understand uh, w- like where do you start because other people are like, okay, this sounds great, Kate, I hear what you're saying, but it sounds overwhelming. So how do you start this when you're trying to start it from scratch and build this new audience and understand this new audience?
1: Yeah, so it's really about the data. And I think with a startup, either you have little to no data, I think I'm fortunate with ShopTrue in that we have this great wealth of data. ShopTrue is a spinoff from a fashion technology company called TrueFit that helps you find the right size when you're shopping online for apparel and footwear. As consumers are doing that and they're entering you know, the sizes and brands that they currently have to see what size um, they might be within a specific brand, there's a wealth of information that's provided and aggregated. So TrueFit has information on over 200 million consumers worldwide and their shopping behavior, their browsing behavior, their buying behavior, their return behavior. So they really can come in and make some pretty accurate recommendations on sizing and then on styling as well. So I think that's you know, really where I start is looking at that data and saying, who are these people? Who are the ones that are in market? what are they browsing? What are they buying? What are they not buying? And just really digging in and understanding that to make sure that the experience that we're building is serving those consumers. And it's not a one and done experience. We're doing a lot of digging right now and understanding, but once the experience goes live, we want to dig in again and look at, okay, who's using our experience? Who is converting? Who's bouncing? Who's just browsing? and really understand that so we know what's working and what's not working so we can kind of change our user experience and marketing messages accordingly
0: how often are you guys assessing that data or going back and looking at it as one thing but then how often are you changing it right because i think some people get into this rat race
1: (laughs) yeah yeah that's a tricky one to really pinpoint i'd say with any type of marketing campaign that's something that i'm looking at daily If I'm sending out an email, uh, a post on social media, any type of retargeting, I want to look at that data every single day because I have the ability within digital marketing to, in that moment, make changes and optimize that campaign, either by changing my message, changing my audience, changing my cadence or my approach. That's the kind of data I want to have my pulse on. When I look at transaction data and audience data, I tend to look at that over the course of say a month or a quarter to know and understand certain patterns and buying behaviors and different cohorts of customers that you tend to want a larger data set to look at, to really pull some actionable learnings out of. So I'd say, you know, the day-to-day stuff, you want to have a pulse on what's in market right now. Anything that you're spending money on, you want to have a really close pulse on because there can be a lot of waste there. If you set a campaign and forget about it for a week, but you can't go back in time and you can't make any changes. But if you have your pulse on the performance, you can make those changes as you go. And especially with digital marketing, you're able to get that information in almost real time, which is great, but it can be overwhelming too. So you need to make sure that you're planning your day and getting that information in a way that's easy to digest and understand and learn from.
0: Because there's, there's so much data and sometimes data could could wrongfully steer marketers, right? Because you have to report to a leadership team. There are aspects of marketing that is also a feel. Sometimes it's just doing the right thing, being in the right places, saying the right stories, lift up the brand, which actually helps conversions. It's basically called the dark funnel. You can't track organic social. You can't track how certain influences are happening in social media, but you know that's what drove the traffic or attribution, but you can't track the attribution. What are some of those like non-tangible trackable things that people should be aware about? that you know helps a marketing strategy?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. There's so much that is trackable, but I think it's important to set up that kind of consumer funnel to look at how people are, are coming to your site, how they're engaging with it, how they're converting, and then how you know, you're know you delivering that experience and bringing them back to become repeat customers so much of that can be reliant on marketing automation and it can be tracked and measured right down to an ROI metric. Beyond that, there's a lot that you can do just around branding, experiences you have on your site, little ways that you add in that company ethos or culture into the experience that make it less transactional, make it less transactional and more of a a immersive brand experience for them. You can't always track if you put say a mailer in with a specific thank you message as part of a, a package someone's receiving, but you know, that may be just the right moment to really like pull on some heartstrings and connect with the consumer in a way That will bring them back long-term and develop that loyalty between the, the customer and the brand. So it's a blend of having that scientific approach that's really measurable. And then layering in things that are really authentic to the brand and what you're doing, make it a good blend of marketing. And I think part of that's also really experimentation and being open to trying some new things. Certainly you wouldn't want to spend a ton of time and money on something that you can't measure all that well, but it's important to continue to try things and understand that approach and see how it works into your marketing mix.
0: With all the trials and errors and successes that you've had, Katie, for e-commerce, what are you seeing? What do you feel are the the main culprits, right? It sounds like I'm not seeing movement on my e-commerce. I'm just not converting. I'm not seeing the sales. What are typically you feel like at the top reasons behind it.
1: Top reasons why sales may not be growing at a rate that someone would want.
0: Yeah. If they have e-commerce, um, I'm going live with my campaign and I'm just not converting. My products aren't selling. What, what are typically things that you see or, or maybe common mistakes that you see that people could avoid?
1: Yeah. I would say put yourself in the shoes of the consumer and map out all of those touch points in the buying journey. So from the time someone comes to your site, are you collecting their information or are they just coming, browsing and leaving? If they come browse, leave some information and leave, you can continue that conversation and either learn why they've left or try to entice them to come back. That's a big part of really, you know, taking your step out of your marketing or your business shoes. And looking at the experience, like the the customer, you might uncover something that you didn't realize was there or a uh, friction point in the journey that you might be able to help alleviate. Another reason why I think some businesses aren't seeing growth is they are either too focused on the very top of the funnel and they're growing a lot of prospects, but not actually converting them. Again, that's something that you can kind of discover by looking at the buying journey. But another thing is, Being too focused on the transaction and not focusing on the top of the funnel and not bringing in new prospects. You may feel, okay, I've saturated my market. There's no one else I can possibly bring in. And it's just simply not the case. There's always new audiences to reach in different ways, and they may act and behave differently in the buying journey than what you've been used to seeing. But unless you're experimenting and trying to bring those new consumers into the funnel, you're just going to continue to kind of go to the same pool of people. And that pool is not going to grow and, and help you grow your business.
0: Fabulous advice. Your profession is, you know, as, as marketers, it's there's a lot of pressure on us because we affect the business as a whole. I think sometimes I really feel like we're the beginning, right before sales even gets an opportunity to to do sales. And it's also brand and brand is a core part of the culture, but it also helps again, sell the product or service. So what do you feel is like one of the biggest myths about your profession?
1: I'd say one of the biggest myths is thinking that you're working with a well-known brand or name and assuming that they've got it all figured out. I've been really surprised about some big, well-recognized organizations that I've worked with that really have no clue in a certain space, or they've just kind of tried something, but they haven't perfected it. So I'd say, you know, when you look out for industry examples, don't assume because a big brand name that they're doing the right thing. They may be figuring it out as well. They may be constrained by uh, a number of technological hurdles or how some legacy systems are set up that are really hindering them from operating in the most efficient fashion. So, certainly look outwards and look at what others are doing, take inventory of what you think they're doing well, but then do what works best for your brand and what works with your technology stack. Because I'd say that's a big hurdle for a lot of these big established brands is they have a technology stack already set up and making changes to that can be really challenging for them to do. So they're working with the information and stack that they have available to them. And it may not be the the most efficient way to necessarily operate from a, a marketing perspective.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of businesses, this digital transformation was seen a huge push and acceleration because businesses are now feeling that stress. Like we don't have the right infrastructure. We don't have the right technology stack because we can't create that great customer experience because we don't have that. We're not getting good data and information because we also don't have the right technology stack built to capture that data and understand what that means. So we've definitely seen a huge shift and we're, we're doing a lot of advising and recommendations, which I'm sure you have going into the organization and say, hey, I need this information. What are our options? And sometimes... You can't make change. It is what it is. And you got to do your best. You know, it's tough as a marketer. If there's budget constraints or legacy systems, you just got to do your best and be creative. But I think it's setting the expectations to leadership team too, to say like, here's what we can do. And here's what we can't based on our situation. And hopefully we can readjust that for next year if we have a budget.
1: Yeah. I yeah. think you always have to be building the case for for why you want to make a change. And don't be afraid to, to do that. I've done that a number of times with organizations. I felt constrained by how things were built or set up, but I did some digging on what the new technologies were and understood the business and when the right time would be to kind of make that ask and also bring others along for that journey. So having my data partners and backend engineers understand some of this technology too and how it works really helped kind of affect that change, but it doesn't happen overnight. And it's something you kind of have to be the champion of and campaign for within an organization because it's work, but the end, it does pay off.
0: And it's the angle in mind. I think you started that in the beginning, understanding goals and and vision. We also talked about connecting as a human. And I think a lot of it's community building a community. How does your brand or how do you connect with your community in this marketing community or just in the community as a whole? Because I think those types of brands who do that type of connection with their community, I, I feel like are always successful organically.
1: Yeah, I think it goes back to trying to understand the community, look at the data that's provided so that you have an understanding of the kind of demographic and the mix of consumers that you would be engaging with. But then think about how these consumers go on these different buying journeys and for us, there's a lot in the social space, um, especially that now that we're in a pandemic, people aren't kind of out in the wild as much. And they're not looking physically at other people to get inspiration on what to wear, different styles to try. So we have to think about where they are looking. And that's a lot in like the micro-influencer community, people sharing outfits of the day, different looks for different uh, occasions and events. And that's how people are sharing that's how people are going and exploring new styles and content so figuring out what that micro influencer community might look like for us is a huge part of the strategy about how we get the message out there and how we allow people to kind of build their own looks and then share it that's just a big part of how we're working through a pandemic and it'll continue to be a part of how we connect with consumers on a more personal level.
0: Have you considered if they've asked you, Kate, to be a micro-influencer and start doing fashion to represent the brand?
1: (laughs) Well, certainly I have a passion for, for fashion and shopping. I wouldn't say that I qualify myself as an influencer at all, but I know a lot of people and I, I look to a lot of influencers to, you know, build out my own fashion sense. And I, I look at them in a different angle on how they're connecting with their audiences and what type of content they're providing. So I'm, I'm always fascinated at the process, though. So, I'm not sure I'm building any type of fashion community myself these days. You'd be an influencer for us, Com. I don't know. No,
0: you do have a great fashion sense. I think yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if your company says, you know what, I, I want to throw you into the influencer mix and you're representing our brand, like put some stuff up in TikTok and Instagram.
1: <laughs> well, hey, you know what? You have to start somewhere. So yep. I'd say with the startup Community, like nothing's off the table. So you may see some outfits of the day or, or style inspiration from me at, at some point in the future.
0: And how easy it is to use ShopTrue, right, to exactly. find these inspirations. Exactly. My last question here, because you're extremely busy as a professional, as a mom, you know, just things that you're passionate about. How do you like stay organized and productive?
1: Oh boy. Well, the short answer is I don't. (laughs) I feel like there's always a lot of things going on, but what I really rely on is focusing on lists. I have a lot of lists everywhere, and I do a lot of time blocking too. So, you know, I have the, the time when my kids are at daycare or school, and I know like those are my core productivity hours. So I've got my list, I've got kind of my top priorities, and it filters down from there. Beyond that, I also have dedicated time for planning. So I'm looking ahead saying like, okay, this is what my day looks like. This is what my week looks like here are the top three things I really need to accomplish. And I make sure that I'm kind of setting out chunks of time to work on that or bring something over the goal line. So it's all about kind of managing things in different chunks of time, allowing that time for planning and reflection. And then making sure that, you know, I have the little slivers of time for myself and for my family, because those are the things that really help recharge me and re-energize me to go back and do it all again next week. And it brings more, you know, fulfillment to kind of everything that I'm doing.
0: Are you using an app? You write it down. Like what are some specific things you're using to help you kind of just really be organized?
1: Yeah, doing a lot of shared calendars, certainly with my husband, putting all my personal things, big work things on those calendars. So he has visibility into, you know, what I've got going on. Certainly when you're managing small children too, knowing doctor's appointments and all of that, that's been a huge help. Beyond that, I'm really old school in that I've got a lot of lists. I enjoy writing There's something about that process that kind of helps things sink into my memory. So I always have a pen and a notebook around, and I've got my lists and I'll synthesize them from there. And some of them become then kind of digital lists or stuff that goes into a project plan for work. But for me, it really starts with that old fashioned pen and paper. That's how I let my thoughts flow. And, you know, then I go from there.
0: I think there's some scientific studies around like that more tactile element of writing versus typing for just connectivity
1: because my wife
0: she writes everything I I type but I've been transitioning to writing and notice the difference so yeah it's interesting
1: it's really (laughs) generational too I think people look at you know like I in college, a lot of people they don't even have books; they're doing everything digitally. I always had physical books, um, probably dating myself now, and you know, wrote in the books and took a lot of notes, and that's kind of how I was brought up, and that's how my education was really founded. So I find that really useful in my work life now, and my personal life too, just kind of keeping myself organized.
0: Well, this was great chat and session. No. I really wanted to give people an opportunity if they wanted to connect with you, Kate, what's the best way for them to connect with you, but also share with the world, like, what else are you working on? You know, we want to give an opportunity for the most success for, for you and in, in true.
1: Yeah, I, I love to, you know, connect with new people, learn about their challenges and what they're doing. You can find me on LinkedIn, Kate DeLanders. I think there's really only one of me. So you can there certainly is. find me there <laughs> or Kate DeLanders at Gmail to connect personally. But I love to hear what people are struggling with, what they're up to, and just continuing to network. So please reach out. I'd say my big focus right now is building ShopTrue and getting that ready to go live early next year. I'm super excited about the opportunity. We are going to have a closed beta in probably end of Q1, early Q2. So if you do connect with me on LinkedIn, you'll have an opportunity to sign up to be part of that closed beta. And I'd love to have people come and, and check it out and hear what they think. Give me some honest feedback. So connect with me and I'll, I'll get you on that list and we can talk marketing.
0: Well, I might have to get on that list too so I can become my fashion micro-influencer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Kate. And we'll talk to you very soon. All right.
1: Thanks, Cheers. Tom. I appreciate it.
0: If you have any questions and topics you'd like us to cover, please email me at podcast at inthinkagency.com or message me on LinkedIn.